Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you may be, you know everything. And this is the Relatable series featuring the inimitable, indubitable, infamous Angel Phoenix. And before I even let her start, I just have to share with you how fucking magic Firstly, where I'm sitting right now is, if you could see what I'm looking at, I'm not sure if it's an acid flashback or a living dream or my dream reality come to life, but I'm looking at an actual phoenix, fire in the flesh, who has burned everything down and rebuilt this world that I get to live in and I get to play in. And I get to create in, and I get to serve in. And it is like full body goosebumps right now. It's just unbelievable. And it was just over a year ago when Angel first shot across my bow. And I actually think that's quite accurate because I was absolutely navigating the tumultuous seas in the pitch of night. It was a wild storm, a gale to stick with this analogy and you guys know my analogies and suddenly this beacon of light appeared and i'm actually not going to say anything more because you guys know how i start this all out the origin story and there's no containing this phoenix my friends so i'm gonna let angel start with an origin because there have been many and ladies choice my dear how did we end up here can we just take a second to bask in your lyricism? Like every king word that you use took me on a journey. And all you could hear most likely in the back end of this was <laughs> me just having these full moaning responses to you describing me and trying to eloquently make sense of how our stars collided. And so what where do i even begin with the how do we get here it's how did i get here how did you get here how did we get here and how are we here existing as the foreplay to where we go next like all of this is just some messy magical probably the most tech flavored organized chaos i've ever participated in i don't know about you and so today i'm going to try and do something different Thank you for having me, BZ, by the way. You almost made me cry for breakfast. I want to try and take everybody on a little bit of an, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Maybe take them to places I haven't yet explored or divulged publicly. Like who I was at the very, very beginning. Well, and so everybody listening knows that my intention with this and these conversations is to firstly demonstrate you can do it too. Hence the name, The Relatables. And so speaking with people who are interweaving art and work, magic and life, you know, they're astral traveling to the laundromat. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I think that one could witness you and perhaps perceive you as totally untouchable, un relatable unbelievable no sense to me yeah because in the flesh sitting across from me in this room and granted 
<laughs> the visuals here. You, I, yeah, uh, uh, you guys are gonna have to go back to the Angel Phoenix and all of your various omnipotence online to find where we're at right now. But the Shock Tank LA will give you an idea. Shout out to Michael and the Shock Tank LA because we might be relatable, but this fucking space is the opposite of it and yet the most relatable thing. But the way you have clawed your way to this point and created this dream reality, my favorite concept, is utterly relatable it's the essence of relatable and i built it all on fantasy that's where i want to take you i want to take you to the first time i started fantasizing because to me the fantasy the fantasizing was where i really started to grasp what i could see in my mind what i could call into my body and what i could maybe create in real life as a result of that and that was when i started watching porn when the internet first came out <laughs> When you said fantasy, I got a little excited. <laughs> no, why? Because in all seriousness, before I explain to the story, it was the first time that the feeling in my body was being met by an external force that could meet me where I was at. So the thing is, at six years old, seven years old, I absolutely started living in this other vibration, right? It was like the butterflies and the, and the, the excitement and the throbbing and the awkward pulsing. And I couldn't really put a finger on it literally. <laughs> and so I kind of, I just had to play in this space of what is this fullness coming from me? What is this feeling being born from me? Nothing on my outside world could reflect it. In fact, you know, it was shamed. Hello, growing up in a super Catholic Italian household, I definitely wasn't going to be talking about that kind of stuff. So when the internet came out and all I had available was literally scrambled porn, blunerie to be specific, that was the first time I was like, wait a second. So here's me with this fantasy. I'm fantasizing about something that I've never seen before. And yet my body knows what it is. So you're six, you're seven, you're eight, you're, you're nine years old. You have absolutely no concept of pleasure. You have no concept of intimacy. You've never had sex. You've never been with anyone. And yet your body is hungry for something you've never experienced yet. And follow me here. I was fantasizing about something that had never been real to me. When I first used tech to find this scrambled adaptation of whatever this thing was, which it wasn't even porn. It was dry humping, performative dry humping, a big deal for me. I was like, wait a second, they're doing what it is my body has been wanting to do, but I've never seen this before. Whoa, what's this kind of subcurrent or, or language that we're all speaking? And it sounds like hyper philosophical and metaphysic for a six, seven, eight, nine year old, but that is legitimately where my brain went. I thought, wait a second, I had this feeling, I didn't know it existed, I didn't know it was available, the internet made it real for me, and now all of a sudden, I could play with pleasure in reality. So that was the first moment that I actually could feel what tech could do for me. It was the first moment I realized what media, visuals, audio could do for me. And it was the first moment I felt seen. And there's something really, really powerful there. And I think what is more relatable than you know, an eight-year-old dry humping her teddy bear being like, where is this drive coming from? Only to find that, holy crap, there's actually something pulling me into this 
space and then having it met on the outside. Since that moment, I have continued to chase relatability and resonance on the internet. That's all I've ever wanted. So whether that was fucking AOL <laughs> or MSN Messenger or freaking MySpace or LiveJournal or Tumblr, all of it has been one variation of pursuing relatability, pursuing resonance, pursuing possibility, and maybe finding that bridge or that connection where I could make what I'm feeling a reality based on what I could see in other people doing on the internet. Uh, make what I am feeling a reality. I mean, that's it. Like we could literally end this podcast right now. Right. But that's, that's truly is kind of where this all begins. And I, I do think that there's something worth saying that when I'm 36 and the internet absolutely came out in our lifetime, which to me saying that out loud fucking literally melts my brain. Cell phones were very much in their inception stage, right? This was, they were a fortune to use. They, I mean, roaming basically cost a mortgage. This is not an exaggeration. For anybody who used to use cell phones, I remember being on tour and getting bills for astronomical amounts of money. I was sending emails on these tiny ass little Nokias that would take me an hour to be able to log into my Hotmail, log out of my Hotmail, send emails from... But throughout all of this, like, really tedious experience, I felt like there was something brewing. There was something coming. And so playing in all of this is, is, like, I want to be honest with you guys. I remember stealing my grandmother's identity so that I could get a cell phone, so that I could start learning how to use a cell phone, so that I could get on the internet and not be at the mercy of dial-up internet in my house that was basically always being monopolized by my dad, probably watching the Spice Girls because like Baby Spice was literally his wet dream. He had Scarlett Johansson as his fucking screensaver. Lord knows what that man was doing on there. And then people picking up the phone and, you know, interrupting the connection. So my thing was like, I know the internet is the future. How am I going to learn how to use this, become literate in it, if I'm having to share that landscape with many people who want to consume and not create. So I had to find a way to find that tech so that I could focus on creating because nobody else in my household could even entertain the fact that that was a thing. So this is kind of like where Web2 and stuff comes in. So my grandmother and I have the same name. We were best friends. So I thought, okay, worst case scenario, she's just going to get really angry and whatever. But what happened is I got that cell phone and the bills were tens of thousands of dollars. And obviously she found out and she wasn't even angry. I think there was a part of her, especially as I kind of started to grow my career quite young, her realizing that I was onto something. And so for her as this Italian immigrant who literally came to Canada and never went back to Italy ever again because she was afraid of all kinds of tech, right? Like the car scared her, the airplane scared her. I mean, she was this, the bravest woman I know, but she could not wrap her head around where tech was going. And I often think about, you know, bless her, she died many years ago of how she would feel going from eating, you know, rotten bread in literally holes in caves in Naples, starving throughout war-torn scenarios to now people being on their phone and selling things called non-fungible tokens. And I remember like having these conversations with her and her being like, I can't wrap my head around it. I'm too old for this world. I'm too old for this world. But I think that she believed in what I was doing because she let me get away with it. And ever since then, it's been me chasing 
like how to get my hands on the next piece of tech so that I could understand how to use it. So when I was 13, I ended up entering a video contest, a national video contest in Canada to stop racism. And so you had to be in a team and had to basically be in a school and you would submit this video. And if you won by chance, you would get a pager, which was the newest thing at the time. And you would get a top of the line VHS camera, which as someone who loved VHS and literally used it to document anything from Santa to her dad smoking weed or whatever, like OG Goonies shit, I was like, I need to do this. And you couldn't enter on your own. So I told my teacher, Miss Hurt, can we please enter this contest? Thousands and thousands of people enter this contest. She's like, oh, fuck it, whatever, sure. So I got some of my friends together. I made a video, literally the most, <laughs> we want to talk about what I did. Somehow we won. So out of 10 teams in all of Canada, which is a big ass motherfucking country, we won. And they flew us out to parliament and I got to speak and I got to do all this kind of, you know, different stuff. And I won a pager. And then the goddamn school took the camera. <laughs> but even grabbing that pager and holding that pager and having something that was that innovative, right? This translucent, sheer pink pager where people could send bibs like through text. That was such a big deal for me. I'm like, that's it, bitch. I'm on the brink of something. I'm on the brink of something. This pink pager, it's not just pinging me. It's pinging possibility. I'm having a full circle moment because I know you're obsessed with emojis. And for all y'all, who didn't have to use numbers to try and communicate <laughs> very important messages, you missed out. Like, like using calculators, yeah. like literally oh, passing uh, calculators uh, with messages. Like that was such a oh, big deal. Yeah. And, you know, like the, the 411 to 911 to 8008. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That was especially I, in the party. I, I taken my parents' car and snuck out of the house to my call it stealing. I don't know. <laughs> feels very dramatic. But I had a pager for, you know, aforementioned stealing stuff and sneaking out. Um, and I remember getting back in the car one day and seeing my dad's phone number on that pager. And I will never forget that. <laughs> That's how you communicate death by numbers. Yes. <laughs> yes. But see, this is where it all starts. This is the moment. And then this is kind of, you know, it, it sounds silly because it's just numbers on a screen. But when texting came out, texting was really this kind of primitive web too. It was the first kind of text and tech that I owned, that I controlled, that I shared. It was insane to me that you had this little device that you could fucking send words on, right? It blew my mind because we came from a 911 urgent call me right now to full on being able to say things right to then these evolutions like the sidekick or the blackberry or whatever the case might be so as i move along all of these sorts of tech and then i i remember using the most ghetto computers with the most ghetto internet connections and my dad was quite strict like i couldn't pee with the door closed i couldn't be in the computer room with the door closed but that was my place. It's where I could go and see and read like Backstreet Boy fan fiction and like get like all of my Napster downloads and being introduced to music and being introduced to this whole other world that existed outside of my dysfunctional household. And I knew that tech would be the thing that was going to get me there. And I grew up playing Sega Genesis, right? It was a really big deal for me. Like my whole life was Sega Genesis. And so then to go from Sega Genesis, where 
you know, there's a lot to be said there alone to then VHS, which I basically learned to be an artist on, to then a pager, to then a cell phone, to then fucking MSN and AOL and ASL and, you know, the inception of catfishing and, you know, having conversations with people late into the night to live journaling and discovering what blogging felt like going from someone who kept a diary to now going out on the internet and learning how to be an emotional, energetic exhibitionist. It's been a hell of a journey. And my origin actually, to me, is is more special in the way that it's so normal and so curious and so silly. And it was just about this little girl who knew that there was more. And I got a taste of that possibility on the World Wide Web. Well, and I love, we're, we're going to veer very far off track. So buckle in, buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you brought up Napster and Sega. And I, I have to riff on this because one of the other Sega. So I wasn't allowed to play video games or watch TV growing up. And my friends loved it because when they would invite me over, I, I literally remember watching a friend play Sonic the Hedgehog for fucking hours. <laughs> like we'd stay up all night. And okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this back. But so what's happening right now with Web3 or 4 or 12 or 18 and, you know, even the internet, the, the Web3 solution in terms of trustless and permissionless and it existing on a blockchain, but blockchain still being more like Web1 than we're comfortable with. I was work I started in the music industry in 1998 and I was working with hippie bands who had their own record label management, publicity, booking, merch, travel. It was, it was a full 360 company. It was totally unique at the time and Napster drops and everybody starts downloading because we didn't, people literally didn't understand that they're stealing product. It'd be the same thing as walking into the grocery store and just like taking all the shit off the shelf and putting it in your cart and walking out. Like we didn't have that understanding that just because it's online doesn't mean it's free. And so we're in real time scraping a living for these artists. They are totally grassroots. You know, they have these rabid fan bases but like no one knows who the fuck they are outside of the little microcosms. And we're absolutely unable to fight this. We have to flow with it. Meanwhile, you know, the major labels are getting their fucking legal teams together. They're trying to fucking take the oh, internet down. They're trying to chase like Sean. It's like a fucking witch hunt. Meanwhile, we're just going, okay, well, so what's awesome about this is more people are going to hear this music now than ever. So what can we create? And long story short, what we started doing was recording the live sets and then making them available to purchase within 24 hours. And so people could create these collections of a summer tour, because a lot of these fucking hippies were going on the whole summer tour. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, so it's like the, the musicians and the record labels and the people who resisted this, and not just on the creation side, but also on the technical side, because then I got on into audio engineering and everyone's like, you know, digital music will never sound like analog and, you know, the tape saturation and the depth of field is gone and it's fucked and, you know, complain, complain, complain. And like 44.1 killer, like the frame rates per second where, you know, you could see the audio wave and it looked like a fucking staircase. It looked like an 8-bit wave, right? And so I, I, I understood the argument. But fast forward 20 years, and now we don't know what analog music sounds like. We go to a live experience and we think this sounds like crap because it's real music. So we overlap it with digital. I mean, we're seeing like the 
Android version of live music on stage every time we go to a gig now. And so one of the reasons I think you and I connect and get off on each other is that we're obsessed with this idea of co-creation in real time and using whatever fucking tools and resources are available to us to create the best thing possible. And the best doesn't necessarily mean like the highest quality. It just literally means in this very moment, what is possible? How can we maximize it? And that's what is so fucking exciting to me about Web3 is that it's this opportunity that levels the playing field. And like 1998, every single creator, whether they're broke or rich, whether they have an audience or not, has this ability to reach people on a global scale, 24-7, 365 for a virtually free and the people who are complaining about it the people who are resisting it that's a pattern i was just gonna bring that up yeah and so the point for me is not web three it's how do we embrace the new how do we ride these tides and in, in these waves so that we don't drown and that to bring it sort of back to stega so we went to vcon at the beginning of the year and one of the things they were talking about is how do you spot the next trend how do you figure out where is this wave crashing? You look at the past. History repeats itself. And so the nostalgia of Sonic, the hedgehog, I mean, that's the only thing I came at, you know? But, you know, that dude's a fucking star in movies now. He's got a full fucking merch line. He's got, a, I mean, I, like these collectibles that are going on. And they look at what were we obsessed with as kids now that we have some disposable income and, and collecting, I mean, collecting is nothing new. People have been doing it for literally centuries. So now we bring this into the digital space. And like, to be perfectly honest, I don't give a fuck about Sonic, but a lot of people do. And so if you're into it, you're collecting it and it has value to you and it has utility to you and it's an investment. But if it's not important to me, I'm not going to share that. And so again, this is kind of where I think the interweaving of art and work of dream and reality of magic in 3D becomes fascinating because we can monetize it. It's the way that I, my brain, the way it's actually conceptualizing what you're saying in real time, I'm imagining you drawing, okay, or painting as you're explaining this. And it really is this clusterfuck of becoming and converging and it's where nostalgia is you know and especially that like collectible nature of it and this youthfulness and this futurism and this desire for evolution it's like all these things colliding at once and it it excites me because as someone who grew up in the there was nothing but atari Sega Genesis, Nintendo, where we blew into our video game cartridges, you know, to bring them back to life, where everything crashed, where video games, even the most sophisticated video games, had parts of the game that you would disappear into the ether, right? If you crossed over that bridge, you were screwed. Like, that's it. You had to restart the whole game. That was the only way for you to come back. It's been remarkable from a gamification perspective to see how all of that has been embedded into the best marketing strategies ever. So gamification, like nostalgia in Web3 or in anything right now, you kind of have that leg up because that's the kind of stuff that you take into your work now that helps you nail whatever it is you want to do as a millennial, let's say. Now, I wanted to say something back to Napster. Every model 
that is about to be disrupted. There's something unique that happens right before it all falls apart to become something better. There's this alleged theft. There's this grandiose, dramatic thing that like, oh my God, people are stealing music. People are stealing movies. Do you remember when, when we had to find, stream a movie or a TV series online? You literally were like, change your IP address, bro. They're going to know. Like, you know, the fucking popos were knocking on your door. If you brought a fucking cell phone in the movie theater, you were going to jail. You know, there'd be these messages that come up while you're streaming something that say, if you play, you know, copy or sell this, you're under arrest. Now, a model like Netflix has taken the very thing we were doing and made it into a profitable model. But before Netflix, before any live streaming you have now, it was considered theft. Nobody could wrap their heads around moving beyond this model, which was you pay for the, the movie, you watch the TV on, on TV, you are forced to watch the ads, too bad, so sad. Same thing with music. The exact same thing with music. When Napster and everything started coming out and LimeWire was like, oh my God, how dare the people? They're stealing, blinding themselves to the possibility of, holy shit, what is this going to open up for artists? What is this going to open up for, you know, what the world looks like moving forward from this? Because a lot of these kind of outdated systems, structures, and rules were absolutely keeping artists small, keeping them starving. Now, with the tech and the landscape and the interoperability that we have and the interfaces we're using, we don't need to be the starving artist anymore. There's abundance available to the creator, right? Like you, the, the little kid that used to collect fucking trading cards grows up to be Gary motherfucking V. There is anything that becomes possible, but the core of that to me is disruption. And the core of that to me is giving it away for free. And the core of that for me is you've got to be willing to throw everything it is you thought was the right way out in the trash and give people exactly what it is they want for free. Let them consume it like a motherfucker and ride that trend to the end. Because when you're there, you can reverse engineer what you need to create to suit what people need there, which is exactly what. Spotify or Apple or Netflix or anyone who's worth their weight has been able to do. Okay. So I kind of want to almost jump to the end here. Angel, are you an artist? Yes. But it's taken me 35 years to say that out loud. Why? And I probably credit to you that you've been a major inspiration for me to realize that genuinely. Seriously. I'll cry. I don't want to talk about it right now. Oh my God. I'm stuck. I am crying. Yeah. Because. <laughs> The, the issue with someone who is, you know, inherently creative is that you're told that the only way to be an artist is for your art to look a certain way. And that's exhausting, isn't it? Because you're, you're trying to kind of fit into this definition and you're like, but I don't get it. Like I romance life, like everything's art to me. My brain is this kaleidoscopic firework Disney parade on ice constantly. And why is it that I can't find a definition that makes me see myself as the artist that I'm, I'm intended to be? And it's only around being with people who understand creatives that I've been able to see myself and be like, wait a second, this is my fucking art. This is like life and, and what's the brush and how am I doing this and what's the medium and what colors am I using? And there's something so incredibly freeing with being around somebody who 
has been working with visionaries and artists, right, and rule breakers and punk rockers for such a long time. Is the thing with the misfit is that you're told that you're a loose cannon. You're told that, you know, you don't have any value. You're told that your art doesn't fit in for so long that you just believe that, well, that's it. I'm just going to live on the outliers for the rest of my life. You know, here I belong on the fringes of society. Is it art or is it me just making a mess? But when you come into this place where you realize that the mess is the art and that Web 2 was the foreplay and where it could actually create the sense of self and identity I needed to make Web 3 the medium where I could create my piece de resistance, I needed to, you know, meet the person who, the first person who appreciated, you know, Gaudi or the first person who appreciated Picasso, you know, the first person who appreciated Anais Nin or any one artist that I respect who was told they're fucking crazy or a loose cannon until somebody said, are you insane? You're a genius. Are you banana bonkers? Like you're a visionary. And now I feel like I'm at that point where I get to be around people who actually see me for the art it is I create, which then leads me to be like, wait a second, I am an artist and I've been waiting for this permission my whole life. And now I have it. And then that it has enriched my experience 10,000 fold. And what tech does that to me is it makes my art tangible. And then, you know, to think that I basically get to be somebody's blunerie. <laughs> I get to be somebody's scrambled porn. I get to be the thing that they're like, wait, oh my God, I felt this in my body and I didn't know anyone else felt it. And oh my God, here's Angela making my fantasy a reality. And I get to be the bridge between someone's fantasy and reality now. And that is fucking art. Okay. I got very emotional there. I actually had to stop and I'm I had to not look I at you because of so much to fucking say about it. And I, I mean, I've pedestalized art my whole life. I recognized early on working with artists, one of my gifts is the ability to monetize it. I didn't really understand the power of that in terms of it wasn't just creating a sustainable life for an artist and their family. It wasn't just allowing somebody to truly work in their joy or their passion, but art saves. And for me, you know, when I was sick, and you kind of touched on this earlier in terms of music, as a connection point, it's art that allowed me to understand I am not totally and miserably alone in my experience. And I always thought art had to be sexy. It had to be music. It had to be on a canvas. You had to have a fine arts degree. And it was actually moving to Australia and immersing myself in these very ratchet <laughs> art scenes where I realized you don't need a fucking education. It doesn't need to be on the wall of a gallery. It doesn't need to be explained or defended. It can just be. And, you know, it's the proverbial toilet in a room and we call it fine art or banana duct tape to a wall and it sells for $10 million. That's the fucking coolest thing though. So thank you for owning it. Thank you for being the possibility agent that you are. It's electric being in this experience with you because it's, I don't know that I've ever felt possibility agency in such a visceral manner because truly there's no rules for you. There's no boundaries. There's no fucking walls. And I'm constantly being like, we should ask. I think we're going to run a little late. I, th I don't want to hurt too many feelings. I think that person's getting annoyed. And you're, you just look at me and continue on. <laughs> I'm like, well, at least I'm not the one getting in trouble. Um, so, and thank you for owning your fucking Can I just artistry. say something? I needed to tell you this. Yeah. 
again, to really like fortify what I was trying to tell you in terms of crediting and complimenting you. So most parents, especially us with immigrant parents, survivor parents, as you know, et cetera, get a real job, right? So if the minute you exercise your artist bone beyond eight years old, right? Before eight years old, it's like, that's so cute. After eight years old, it's like, nah, that's not gonna fly. Get a real job. Now that's for accepted art. When you're creating art that nobody understands or sees, you're not just being told to get a real job, you're being told you're a loser. You're being told you're wasting your time. You're being told that you're delusional. You're being told that you're being reckless with your future. You're being told that you know you wasted your parents' sacrifice for this thing that doesn't even exist yet. Because you're literally wagering your entire life on something that nobody even acknowledges is fucking real yet. So being around people who see that what you're doing is real and can bet and back and wager on the same vision as you is only a kind of cheerleading medicine that I wish for everyone in this world to experience who is drinking from the same visionary Kool-Aid as me. Because you've been able, the way that you believe in what it is I do, and I'm sure you've done this for many people you've worked with, is that you validate a part of me that feels like, wait a second, if nobody's seeing me, maybe there is something wrong with me, or I am dreaming too big, or I'm making this up in my head, or whatever the fuck the case might be. I don't have you telling me, go and get a real job. You're like, bitch, this is the real job, and then some. And there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of value in that when you're healing from abandonment, fear, rejection, complex pushed on you from your parents who probably were doing their best, right? Because they... They'll never have access to what it is you have access to now. I mean, BZ, look at your life right now and your father's life, right? We're talking about that much being revealed and healed and turned on its head and then having to mitigate the nuances of jealousy and insecurity and confusion. And I love you and I want the best for you, but fuck you. Why did you get this? And why didn't I? And why wasn't I born at this time? And I had to fight to survive. And here you are living to thrive. And so you know, moving, moving through all of these weird, you know, 36, I can't believe I'm still healing this kind of stuff. But what you've been able to do for me is like, oh my God, I am the artist. Like, especially when we talked, you know, we were spoke about the other day about Tame Impala and, you know, this being with these like creative people who you just have to buckle up for the ride and be there to support them in their, their delusion. It feels so good to not have to justify my delusion or defend my vision and just back myself and now finally be at a place in my life where I can tell people, listen, either ride with me or back the fuck off. I'm not going to compromise anymore. I'm not going to small myself. I'm not going to explain myself. Like I have enough of a track record now to always do it and always come back up and always be at the front of the next big thing. I've trust myself enough now to tell the naysayers and the non-believers and the rule followers to go fuck themselves. But I would only be that strong if I had the company I'm keeping right now, because the company you keep either creates contraction or expansion. And if I'm moving full throttle into Web3 and the endless, infinite landscape of this wild, wild west, I need people around me who inspire expansion. I don't have space for fear and contraction. The future me will not allow it. <laughs> so many places to go. And where I was tempted to go is why has art been blasphemized? Why don't we 
trust the visionary to see that which we cannot see and then build and create that world that we so desperately want to experience. But I wrote a blog on that. I'll link it in the show notes. Instead. I do explain that to that if you want. Well, I mean, I was, you know, I'm going to turn the mic over to you, Miss Miss Phoenix. So what's your fucking job? It's only just landed for me in the last few days. Genuinely. In the last few days, I'm like, Angela, what you do is so fucking simple. Like you're, you're a creative. <laughs> you're an artist. That's it. You, everything you do touches on creativity and breathes artistry. And the foundation of all of that is interconnectivity. It's relationship. It's the wires that connect us. It's the blood that connects us. It's the mind that connects us. It's the vision that connects us. That's what I do. Now, I'm an investor and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a phoenix and I'm an Olympian rebirth athlete and I am a hedonist and I am all the things. And aliveness is what drives that. My ambition is absolutely connected to aliveness. If it makes me feel alive, I'm going to pursue it. Money is simply a byproduct of what it is I do. But fundamentally, I'm a creative. And that was something that I felt pigeonholed by for a really long time. I was terrified to own, what if I'm just a creative? What if I'm nothing more? Is that enough for me? What if I'm just an artist? Is that enough for me? What if I'm just who it is I am? Is that enough for me? What if SEO will never be able to properly <laughs> track me? Is that okay with me? What if no three hashtags will ever be able to describe what it is I do? Am I cool with that? What if my social media strategy or my marketing strategies or my branding strategies are 5,000 times harder and more difficult than they need to be because I'm just this thing? Am I okay with that? And I've realized the last few days that I just need to be okay with that because I'm not just that. I'm all of that. And it's not the minimalism that feels small or makes me feel like I'm being pigeonholed. It's the maximalism of it all. It's the fucking vastness and the hugeness of that term now. I don't look at the word creative and say, oh, how small, how boring, how one dimensional. I look at it and say, wow, that scares the shit out of me because that's big and there's a lot in there. And that's rainbows and volcanoes and crying and coming and laughing and drawing and painting and pottery and being and dancing with life incessantly and opening doors and closing doors and breaking through ceilings and limitlessness. And I realized that I was never afraid of just the word. I was afraid of what I would, what I would be saying yes to when I accepted creative as my label. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so what's your fucking job, bitch? <laughs> What's my job? And I'm leaving in this pregnant pause because I want you guys to understand like how you, lo you look into people and you look into influencers and fucking entrepreneurs and public personalities and you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, they have, they, they know exactly who it is they are. They know exactly what it is they do. I get paid, like it's crazy to me. I get paid to literally do whatever the fuck it is I want to do. My job is to chase aliveness. Can you know Peter Pan and his shadow, right? I basically am fucking Tinkerbell. And I have the pixie dust and you've got the happy dust. Sorry, I've got the pixie dust and you've got the happy thoughts. And I teach you how to fly. That's literally what it is I do. So I run around like a little Tinkerbell 
And I go to the people who don't think it is they can fly. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Give me your happy thoughts. I'll give you the pixie dust. And then I network and connect people like Wendy and Peter. And Wendy's got the thimble. And Peter's like, oh my God, this shadow, it keeps evading me. I never want to grow up. Da 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 da. Come and play. And Wendy's like, let's ground that. Let's bring you to your shadow. Let's give your, your flying some focus. You know, let's bring in some intention, some compassion, some connection, some long-term thinking. And that's how I can describe what the fuck it is I do. <laughs> okay. So pixie dust pusher, fairy flight instructor, and shadow slayer. Again. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Or like, yeah, sh shadow crazy glue or something similar. On the surface, I really do think that ultimately I'm a business anarchist. I really do believe that I'm a feminist at heart. I believe that I am a futurist forever. You know, what, what excites me is what comes next, not what, what's being done right now or what's been done before, which is ironic because I love to study things like, you know, astro mythology and philosophy and history, but as a reference, as, a, as an inception point, you know. What, what really gets me off is like, where the fuck are we going? And how can I demystify it and create language out of it so I can bring those huge concepts to the people of the now and best prepare them for what happens next? And, you know, I really am good at a lot of things. So I think maybe a part of that, my title, like, what do I do is maybe I get paid to fall in love with things, get really good at them and let them go to make room for the next thing I'm about to fall in love with. Oh, shit, that got me. Okay. So I kind of, where, where I want to go with this is like, what, what does a day in the life look like? Like, and I, I know Watch it, out for the just, YouTube channel folks. Cause you're going to be getting lots of that porn there. It, well, and that's so creation. I mean, I know research is a huge part of what you want to do. And, and, and this might be giving, <clears throat> this might be giving away the secret sauce. So absolutely, you know, don't answer this if you don't want to, but like, how do you spot the trends? How do you find that next spark that you fan into flame? Is that your day-to-day? -day? Like, is there a day-to-day? -day? How do you think about and then execute your, and I'm using air quotes here for the listener, like, how do you execute your work? Love this question so much. I believe that a lot of what I do and where, where I kind of spot the big things is observation and patterning. So I like to observe people I like to observe behavior. I like to observe landscape. I like to observe tech. I like to observe the people I look up to in spaces, whatever it might be, over extended periods of time to pattern words, what's coming up, problems, common denominators, what's being repeated. And if I do that long enough, I always end up finding something that's going to elude at the very minimum to the gap that maybe I can bridge, right? So if I pay attention long enough, I can figure that out. Also, I love to read. I love to, you know, look at fucking conference recaps. I like to look at, like, I love looking at futurism keynotes. I love reading, you know, studies. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm happy to link your audience to some of the most fascinating ones I read about like where we're going. And I think I spoke to you about an IBM conference in 2018, 2018 folks that's four years ago when they were laughing at 
the concept of influencers and consultants and strategists to influencers. And that, I mean, these are some of the richest men in the world in tech saying like, that's insane. Nobody's ever going to do that. And fast forward four years and the futurists were right. This is exactly what's happening now. So you have consultants to the influencers, which is literally what I'm doing in this room with BZ and part, and I've never said this to anyone, but part of me creating bad influencer was a fuck you to that IBM conference because it annoyed the shit out of me like and this is true business anarchist where i was like who the fuck is making the rules like bro why are you telling us what's gonna happen next with such certainty like it annoyed me and i was like what the like the nature of what i do is literally consultancy to people working in social media right and but that's exactly it like the currency where people are going where the attention is and therefore where you know shareholders are putting their attention or where corporate moguls are putting their attention influencers now are the most expensive kind of advertising that you can pay for right people want to invest more money in, in terms of 80 percent right now of marketing budgets are on fucking influencers and social media campaigns micro and macro influencers which four years ago people thought was absolutely insane you know i actually believe that uh, in the future ai influencers and influencers are going to cost more money than a super bowl ad and give that seven eight years and it's going to happen so I think a part of me doing bad influencer was because of that, but I like paying attention to shit like that, okay? So like, what are people saying is impossible? Now let me go there, right? Because just like theft or the illusion of theft is the precursor to major disruption that leads to a new model, people getting pissed off and saying something is impossible is literally the beacon for, oh fuck, now somebody's gonna make it a point to make that possible. So consider this your entry point or your early warning that shit's about to go down in that arena. Holy fucking, my heart is racing right now. Cause like, I'm like, y'all, if, if you just listen to the last five minutes of this, not only are these million dollar tips, but you're, you're listening to someone who literally made a million dollars in the last six motherfucking months. Like it is, I was like, it's July. No, it is August. It's almost September 2022 for wherever in the space time continuum you're turning in. And this creatrix, this business anarchist, this fucking phoenix rising from the ashes of just a couple of years ago, but literally in the last six months, used exactly what she just gave you for free, walking the motherfucking walk. I'm going to say motherfucking Allah. Found the hole and you found the gap. You filled it. And you made a million dollars. And, and and we could talk about this too, because I've literally spent it all. And I'm going to do the 10,000 10, times. Like, I'm so excited now to spend the, 10 mil the next 10 million I make. I can't fucking wait to spend it. Like, bring it on. I actually do believe too, as a, and this is another like golden piece of advice here. Look at what you're already doing for free and what you would keep doing for free. And then just find a way to make money to keep doing the thing you would already be doing for free. And that really helped me turn my entire life around in that six months. It was like, wait a second, I'm already going to fucking do this for free. I love to do it. Why don't I just create an offering for somebody that wants to get five inches closer to me, right? To get that access, to get that experience so that I could keep doing what it is I want to do for free. And that really did fucking change a lot for me. Well, and... I mean, Angel, we could talk for the next 10,000 years. I'm sensitive to your time and the gift that you've given me and this audience. So in sort of view of wrapping it up, 
please talk to us about what you're doing. Cause I know philanthropy is a huge part of your focus and your give back. I know that your vision doesn't just include consulting, you know, online. And I, I guess I said that with kind of an air of like, uh, but it's because I know like <laughs> actually like the magnitude of what it is yeah. that you're doing. And that's, that's being a vehicle to creating the world we all want to live in. And that's, you know, the challenge I think for the visionary is you can see what's not possible. You refuse to accept what is, and you only, only allow what should be, but it, it's, it's impossible. Like, hence the term possibility agent. You're, you're literally working in the impossibility and people can't see it. That's kind of the whole fucking point. Cause if they could see it, it were real and blah, blah, blah. So we've talked about, I mean, we didn't get to the day to day. Cause I think that's actually like, there is no day to day. There is there, every single day is a completely new experience. You were literally inventing the wheel, like not reinventing, like you're fucking, and it, it is allowing, you know, what, what I talk to a lot of people about on this is how do you interweave work and dream? How do you interweave play and responsibility? And I actually this have, concept- sorry, sorry, to interrupt you. I did have something to say on that, but I got, I got distracted. I'm happy to touch on that. Can I just waltz? Yeah, 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 of course, of course. The of course, part about yeah. impossibility and possibility agent, like what you just said, literally makes me want to spontaneously combust because I was journaling on this the other day and I was thinking about like everything I want to be and become is somewhere between everything it is I think I can't do and everything it is I think I can't have. Okay. And in this, I have the decision to choose whether something is impossibly hard or impossibly easy, which then creates this fun fucking, this, this really like weird way for me to reframe everything I'm doing, which is like, this feels impossible right now, uh, impossibly easy. Everything, you know, every time something feels like impossibly hard or I have someone telling me it's impossible, I'm like, yeah, it is impossible, impossibly easy. And that's really, really helped me to nip it in the butt even harder than being a possibility agent. The reason I'm a possibility agent is that I don't believe anything is impossible. I believe everything is possible in the cunt of impossibly easy, not an impossibly hard. And that really is helping me to just look at listen, bitch, you break the rules. And here you are trying to subscribe to rules you've written that you're now subscribing to? Like how ironic and hypocritical of you to put a middle finger up to the air for every other system and structure and model that's holding you back. And then for you, what? When no one's watching, be like, I can't do this because this, this, this. I can't make it happen because I need to do this. Who, who's making those rules? If I'm making them, then it should be easier to break them. So when something feels impossibly hard, I have the power to make it impossibly easy by looking at the lower part of my subconscious and my not higher self writing these rules just to sabotage me or laugh at me like a couple of fairies drinking way too much whiskey on Christmas Eve and be like, no, 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 no. I'm going to break my own rules. And that's where impossibly hard becomes impossibly easy. Holy shit, Ange. Okay. So what are the impossibly hard things that you're making easy? The philanthropic give back, yeah. The future. Now this what's is what's happening right now. How could people, you know, if someone wanted to work with you, like so the things that I'm doing right now and I'm working on is only like truly, this is my only structure right now, is integrity, 
following through on what it is I said I would do while honoring what it is I want to do. Let's be very clear. My only structure and system right now is integrity. And it's following through on what I said I would do while following through with what it is I want to do. Aliveness, especially with my, my energy time, is what determines my entire day. So although I might have a loose like structure, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this today, da, 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 it really is circled and centered around play and pleasure and naps and food and what's alive to me at this moment in time, because I can't be forced to do something I don't want to do. If I'm hungry, if I'm angry, if I'm lonely, if I'm tired, right, I cannot do the fucking thing. So I need space in my day to show grace for whatever it is I'm feeling, moving, whatever, and then do that thing. Those energetic, that embodiment, those parameters are genuinely how my day kind of happens. Otherwise, everything is one big dance. It's like synchronized swimming. I don't know where I learned the choreography, but when I get in the water, sometimes, you know, in some fucked up way, I can move with everything else that's happening around me. It's a flow state. I've reached a place in my life where I'm living in flow state, 100%. Like just this week, I made a commitment to myself that I wanted to open the rescue in Bali. And, you know, this is like I've been doing philanthropy literally since I'm 16 years old. And it's as like true Aquarius in the sixth house. It's always been a motivator for everything it is that I want to do. I want to be rich as fuck and I want to help the world and I want to be the Robin Ho. Like that is what I want to do, right? I don't care if I have to suck a million metaphorical and literal dicks to get the capital I need to get money into the hands of good people. I will do whatever it is I need to do. So I thought I'm going to fucking do this. It's alive in me. How do I make this happen? And basically I put it out to the universe. And I went onto my Instagram. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to raise. This is what I want to make happen. And I made $60,000 in one day. Like the, 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 thing, the thing is, it's like when you are so horny for something and it's beyond you and you're like, you see it in your mind that I'm going to have a house full of dogs and a house full of cats and my children are going to be good people and I'm going to do something really fucking good and I'm going to be able to create this thing. That's where impossibly hard becomes impossibly easy. There's, there's no negotiating. It's like, no, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to ask for what it is I need and I'm going to make it happen. And now it's happening. Now I'm opening the rescue. It's how I opened the birth clinic in Ethiopia. It's how I continue to do scholarships. It's how I continue to help. It's how I continue to do all the things that I do. I want to do it. Let me do it because it fucking means something to me and I'm going to keep doing it. And I decided, you know, when I, when I, for those of you who know a little bit of my story, I created the Billionaire Babes Club in Melbourne. I put everything I had into this place, everything that you can possibly imagine. And I had to walk away from it during COVID and it was devastating. And I tried to get in Byron and then Byron go locked down. And I was like, I'm never going to do a brick and mortar thing ever again. I was like, Angela, you now have a legal business entity in Bali. You now can literally create the shock tank of your dreams in a place hire Balinese people, support Balinese artists, Indonesian artists, create the creative fucking space of your dreams on one fucking hundredth of the price. So that's the commitment I made to myself yesterday. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to open an absolutely epic content creation space in Bali. I'm going to literally teach children and teenagers how to be creative. I'm going to run all kinds of fun stuff. I'm going to run it for everyone else in between. It's going to be super affordable and accessible. So basically I can do a ton of shit for free because there's none of the overheads that I would have if I was opening it in a big city. And so a lot of stuff is becoming really clear to me. And I think Bali 
like I, I can't even talk about it because I'll start sobbing. But what it's done for me is like, oh my God, my dreams. You know, when you're driving a car and you've got the side mirror and it says objects in mirror may be closer than they appear. Bali is my side mirror in my vehicle right now. And it's helping me to see things in such a way where I've realized that it wasn't me that was the problem. And it wasn't that things were too far away. I just needed a space that could literally give me the possibility agentism that I needed so that I could be it for other people. And now I feel like nothing is impossible. Now I'm like fucking with the universe. I'm like, I dare you to tell me I can't do this. I dare you to tell me that I can't make this happen. And I have a fucking, you know, a tech startup, femtech coming out that's literally going to disrupt the whole industry when people understand it's the only wearable in the entire world on the entire market that is built off a female body. The only one. Every other one is created off of men. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to do this. And it's the first time that I went really all in to support a female entrepreneur. It's the most money I've ever invested in somebody and their project. There's so many things that I want to do. And now I feel like there's this ruthlessness and this self-belief that's like flavoring everything that I'm doing. And I use my expertise, even saying that out loud feels edgy, but my expertise around branding and social media and understanding of people and behavior and tech to get me to where it is I need to be. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm really good at and what I love to do to make everything else a reality. And I'm bringing everyone along for the ride. You just dropped that. I've never heard you even talk about that, that vision for the space in Bali. So like you, the listener, you're literally the first uh -huh. year outside of me. We're in this together. Mm -hmm. And and I just, before we go, there's another thing that I need to bring a light to. And I also, if this, if I'm like speaking at a school, you don't have to answer this. We can edit it for sure. So many of you probably know that like, I'm not a mom, don't have kids, but I have this really unique vantage point because I've been working for myself for years. I have a lot of freedom. And so every other woman I know and, or man, or, you know, whatever presenting you choose to be, <laughs> they all have kids. And so I, you know, they're the, I'm the one that gets the call when they're like, please help. <laughs> and I like to call myself the baby whisperer. I've been in a lot of unique positions, essentially stepping in to co-parent and be the support either in the health crises or single parenting crises or just, you know, work emergencies. And one of the things that I've seen my friends and peers really fucking struggling with is how do we create this healthy relationship for our children with tech. And, you know, the last couple of years, we've seen children literally immersed in technology for their entire waking day. And where we used to vilify this, you know, I grew up with parents who wouldn't let me watch TV, wouldn't let mm -hmm. me play video games because they thought it was mm -hmm. really fucking bad for the brain. And just like fighting Web3, just like fighting fucking tech and Napster and all of the things, like, our children live on screens now. And one of the things you were a possibility agency for me <laughs> was helping me flip around my relationship with social media and understanding like on the one hand, this is the most powerful platform we have access to as humans. It creates connection. It literally saves lives. Mm -hmm. And it can be this incredibly healing and cathartic place of creation. However, we vilified it and condemned it. And I was the first person to say, I fucking hate social media. I literally built like anti-business school was founded on this belief. Like, can you do business without social media? But you helped me see like, it's not fucking, you know, you don't like look at the hammer and be like that fucking cunt. <laughs> that, that hammer is evil. That's the like, perfect way to describe it. <laughs> so you, 
like literally in one post, one of my girlfriends was like, I was working with a, a mom who was helping me with all of my social media stuff. And she had a, I call it a mommy moment where she just realized like, I can't run my business and raise my children. So I'm out. And I was like, uh, okay, but like literally 60% of my business is propped up with your business. How do I fucking do this? And I, and even though I had been invested in social media in my own business for three years and everybody, you know, all of my clients business for over 20 years, and I, I understood it, I hated it. And I knew I was never going to get the results that I wanted. And now I'm kind of going off on a massive tangent. So I'm going to bring it back. You in one sentence, pro-social behavior on social media flipped it for me. And then you've taught me everything I need to know to truly embrace this art form. You are creating this space for parents and for children to learn how to use this platform in a manner that is expansive and healthy because we've never had that model set before us. It's so weird too that, that thank you for acknowledging that. And fought, like, you know, we're busy saying so beautiful everyone, but God damn, it's a work and constant process. I'm dealing with that at the moment, especially with my poor children who have had their whole life change again for the 50th time in two years, trusting it's all going to work out when they have their YouTube channel, which is literally their driving force right now. Like they just asking me every day, like, can we have the camera? Can we have the thing? We, we want to start the YouTube channel. I know that when I'm feeling, this is maybe, I just feeling called to share this, but I know that when I'm feeling triggered by what my kids are doing on a device or on the computer. It's a projection of how ill-equipped I've let them become to create instead of consume. How I've basically turned them into Pac-Man instead of the fucking god of the internet. And so I have really seen that it's not that I'm the problem. It's not that I'm like trying to make you feel guilty or make you feel ashamed, but I'm going to invite you to look at if you're being triggered by what your children are doing, then maybe look at how are you consuming more than creating? And therefore, how are you exemplifying the same thing that your children are picking up on? And how could you encourage them or involve them in activities, in learning, in whatever that might be, that will help them create more than consume? Because the greatest gift that you can give your children right now is equip them to create and discourage them to consume. And that will give them enough meat and potatoes to create a healthy relationship with consumption because once they've had a bite of how fulfilling satiating and enriching creation is they're always going to choose creation over consumption so if you're a parent out there if you're a parent out there who's struggling i just want you to understand that that is going to be such a beautiful place for you to start and then i will i will end that with as parents and look at your parents, look at your grandparents, right? And the conversation we had before about how invisible they made us feel, how crazy they made us feel, how disconnected they made us feel, whatever that was the case, because they didn't understand what it is we were doing. Don't be that person to your kid. Just because you don't understand what's happening, it doesn't make you the gospel, the authority, or the expert on what happens next. You might be in a situation where you're actually rendering your child illiterate and therefore robbing them of opportunity they might be able to create otherwise in this perverse idea that you're sheltering them. What you're actually doing is stifling them. You're stunting their growth. What you need to do is work on that shadow work 
play with your relationship to social media and really give them the tools they need to use it. That's how we're going to stop things like revenge porn. That's how we're going to stop cyberbullying. That's how we're going to improve the quality of relationships on the internet. When parents start with their behavior, with their relationships, we can move forward from there. And I really feel passionate about this. And I'm very, very excited to continue to speak to the pro-social nature of social media and making social media social again, because the capacity is medicine, alchemy, transformation, unity. And I'm never going to stop fighting for that. Oh, you're authenticity in that you said you know essentially you're moving towards integrity and towards follow-through and towards accountability in every moment was alchemical and your your openness and and both you know i get to witness i get to see all of this and i just want to say thank you that was so powerful this is how you create timeless art is by simply being fucking real and owning it like yeah i have a vision it feels impossible I choose to make it impossibly easy. I am living this example and it is a working hypothesis where there will be failures until we test the true result. And we can't have attachment to that result. It might be false, it might be true, but that's how we're constantly pivoting and changing. The only constant being change. And you know, typically, well not typically, but sometimes I I'm able to say, well, this is where you find this person and this is what they're doing <laughs> with you. But you know, this is going to come out probably in a couple months. And I know both of us are going to have a million things going on, half of which are going to be intertwined with each other and amplifying each other. You're essentially omnipotent online. I think you Google Angel Phoenix. There's one. Well, I do. I, I do. I do have. So because this will be coming out after we've had whatever minor delays with websites, but there's three websites people can find me on. So it's going to be the hoochiemama.com. And that's where you can find everything I do in regards to sex education, menstrual health, reproductive health activism in those spaces and all the amazing work I'm going to be doing with Pornhub in their sexual wellness center. And then you'll also be able to go to socialmediaslate.school where this ridiculous, delicious, energetic empire of information, insight, and inspiration on all things making social media social again lies. So tons of free resources for parents, tons of free resources for business owners, access to my courses, my archives, masterclasses, really getting into the itty gritty of my personal philosophies, strategies, approaches. So anything you need to know when it comes to learning social media of the future by reimagining, reinventing, and rebirthing this new version of you is going to be on socialmediaslay.school. And then on angel-phoenix.com, that's where all my personal branding stuff is going to be. So this is sort of the nut of it all. You can kind of branch out from there, my Instagram. But honestly, like Basie said, if you Google me, you'll be able to see everything we're doing together, the YouTube channel, YouTube shorts, the podcast, Everything is going to be linked everywhere you need. We'll pop that in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. I hope that you have been moved and activated in whatever way you need it to be today. And I hope that you move through the rest of the week, the year, and your fucking life, understanding that you get to choose what is impossibly hard and impossibly easy, and that you recognize the possibility in what this new world 
what this Web3, what all of this shit you have no idea or don't understand or completely overwhelmed or confused by, what is lying there for you? X marks the spot. I hope that this podcast was the treasure map you needed. And when you get there, please take a selfie with the gold you find because we'd love to live vicariously through you. I mean, I have nothing to add. That was phenomenal. You're a fucking legend. You are a living legend. It is my honor, privilege, and proof that anything is possible. The fact that I'm sitting in this room looking at you right now, not sobbing my fucking face off. So that's, I got, that's it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love us. It's all about love. Bye. Bye.